0: Welcome to Parents on Pictures podcast. My name's Damien. And I'm Andy. And each and every episode, what we do is we take a film from a popular streaming service like Netflix, Amazon Prime, and soon to be Disney Plus, and we watch it and we have a chat about it. We invite you to have a chat about it as well. Uh, join us on Twitch Live, where we'll be streaming each of these episodes, or feel free to catch it uh, on uh, any pa- uh, platform for streaming your podcasts or of course you can catch us on YouTube, but more about that later. So Andy, which episode have we decided to full-heartedly go in with our very, very first pod?
1: Well, I, after some discussion about the things that are going on in the world and the COVID-19, coronavirus, all this, we decided upon a film called Cargo, um, made in 2017, and uh, a Netflix original, um, a fabulous piece of filmmaking, and but it, it kind of it, I guess it's an exaggerated version of today's events. Sounds um,
0: about right. Yeah, I mean, we for those of you who are here with us, we've literally just gotten off of the uh, <laughs> the news where we've had yet another announcement about total lockdown here in the United Kingdom. Yeah. But before we go into it, why don't we start? Given that's our first one um we've said a little bit more about ourselves you know our backgrounds and why it is that we decided to to do a podcast other than the fact that we're stuck at home and we have nothing else to do
1: hm. absolutely do, do you want to start
0: yeah uh, no go for it
1: okay so uh i'm andy mitchell um i have been a media studies teacher now for 10 years um, I have recently retired from teaching to uh, take up my own digital media venture, uh, but film is something i 'm hugely passionate about, and I think you know tried to drum it into students for ten years, trying to uh, you know, get them to appreciate film and the finer things in film as well rather than just looking at a film or you know the films that are in the cinema all the time, but look further afield, look at foreign films look at um small budget films, British films, you know, or in, international films, any kind of film. Um and view it as a piece of art. And I know it sounds particularly uh cringy when someone says that, oh, it's a piece of art. But really, you know, filmmaking is an art form and it is it's amazing. One of the things I used to say all the time, um I used to get parents say, why should I let my son or daughter Pick media studies, and I would always say to them, "Well, when we study the media, it's really similar to um, when we're studying English literature, for instance. But instead of books, we're studying film, or we're studying television, or or whatever else, but mostly film. And we're analysing those films in in that kind of detail. And that's what I really love about film is analysing it, looking at how they've framed these bits and pieces. So I think that's what I'm going to bring to the table here. The kind of Analytical sense. Uh, certainly, when I was watching cargo there's so much to talk about in that film. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. My name's Damien Harfield. And uh, my background is predominantly uh, in martial arts. I've been teaching martial arts now for eight years. I've been studying martial arts for 18 years. Um, but I've always used film as a form of escapism. So for me, I, I suppose I, I first hit films really hard and got a really big interest in it around my teens because I used to use it as a, a coping mechanism for all the change and everything that was going on around my life. And films used to allow me me that sense of leaving everything alone and just focusing on something else completely different for a few hours at a time. And I got to grips and I I got into film so much through that period of time that it never left me essentially. And so I suppose in terms of compared to to Andy's analytical and very professional kind of uh, view on it. By comparison, I'm going to be giving you a much more emotional uh, kind of standpoint because I I like to approach film from not only what do I get from it from an emotional standpoint, but I also like to look at the types of things that the film is trying to do, Um, which is why when, when I compare a film to another one, I try to stay away from things like comparing films to something that's absolutely amazing and out of this world. I like to try and compare films to other films in the same genre. Because I love films from all different genres, uh, in in spite of the fact that things like comedy might get overlooked because you know it's not as critically acclaimed, especially when it comes to things like the Oscars and all that stuff. Um, so I'm I'm probably from a much more emotional standpoint. I've been studying film on and off for years, but it's it's from a more personal background, and um, it I really found that it helped, especially when I was trying to analyze the society around me, because I think that film of any nature, regardless whether it's a comedy or horror or thriller, it's always tells you something about the the, the life and the times that you're in, because it's impossible to create a film, I think, without being influenced by the things around you, regardless of how removed you try to be. So if you look hard enough, there's always something really interesting about film that you might not necessarily get on first glance. And that's, again, I think that's pretty much the case with cargo as well Well, Um,
1: just just what you were saying there damon i think it's quite interesting because i think that actually most people view films for the same reasons that you said that that sense of escapism um so i think that people are going to be able to relate to the things you're saying those emotional things you're saying um and also interestingly now we'll bring this up in another episode when we study a superhero film but one of the things i (laughs) I love teaching this and you're talking about how films represent society and, and the world we live in if you look at the superhero genre and you look at the history of when these films were popular, they've had a real kind of um, peaks and troughs throughout history. And when you look at what's happening at those times in history, um, there's usually some sort of war or some sort of event that's happening. So Vietnam, for instance, in the States, there was a huge reason why superhero films took off. After 9-11, this huge explosion of superhero films because it's what the nation needs. It's what people need to kind of, take their mind off of things and this distraction from reality. And so let's talk about that later on, but an interesting point, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I, th- I absolutely think so. Um, so th- this episode, we are going into Cargo. Cargo is a, and I've got uh, some details here, Cargo is a 2017 film, which has been directed by Ben Howling and Yolanda Ramp and written by Yolanda Ramp. Uh, It stars Simone Landers, Martin Freeman, and Marley Jane McPherson-Dobbins and is a film, correct me if I'm wrong, which is centred around the Australian uh, outback, or, well, all parts of Australia, really. And it's set, I would imagine, because it doesn't, give away an awful lot does it which I love about this film it's set I can only believe in the not too distant future going from things like tech and and the clothing and all that jazz and
1: that's it because it doesn't seem too dissimilar from our reality that we're living in now
0: yeah absolutely it's
1: not like other films where all of a sudden you're shown a piece of technology that couldn't possibly exist everything in this film is really um believable
0: you know, yeah, it's, it's very current it's yeah. uh, it feels like it could literally happen tomorrow, which I think is what adds to <laughs> well yeah especially with covid that's going on at the moment um yeah. it's like you might have seen this film you know, i know if you saw this film a decade ago you're like nah don't worry about it. you see this film now you're like yeah things could really fall apart that quickly if you saw this film four weeks ago <laughs> yeah. you would never believe it exactly exactly and and one of the things that i noticed first off um with the film is that with a lot of if for all intents and purposes, it is a zombie film. And with a lot of films of this type, it's usually marking either the beginning of it and it's all going, you know, everything's going to to hell or it's years or months uh, into it. And so everything's looking run down, everything's already looking like the world's been lived in. But the thing that struck me first off in the few opening shots is that everything is clean. Everything seems current, but like the, the time span from infection to where our characters are now isn't all that long at all. I mean, the, the clothes are clean. Um, the, the characters are relatively well-groomed. There's nothing there that shouts, this has been you know, a massive apocalyptic type thing. Everybody's got dirty clothes and they're carrying shotguns and they're all well-prepared for the zombie invasion. So it's like marking these characters as it's going. I absolutely
1: agree with that, Uh, you know, uh, those opening shots, I think, really set the scene where we open up and we've got this gorgeous drone shot, this aerial view of this arid landscape with these um, burnt out areas within them, and I guess, you know, they're they're posing a question, what are these areas, but it all seems very believable, it all seems very, you know, something that might happen next week, there's nothing unusual there. Um, And when we're first introduced to the characters as well you know, they've not got big beards or anything like that. They're, they're clean shaven and so, and their hair's cut and groomed all nice. So there clearly hasn't been decades of this. Mm. We're talking months at the most.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would agree there, but it's, it's just, um, it, it shows you, and which is much more believable in the, the times that we're currently living in. It shows you how quickly things have gone wrong. Um, because one of the first opening shots is as the the main characters, uh, are going on their, their boat ride. Um, there are these packs, these survival packs so that are drifting in the water. So things have happened so quickly that not only have the characters not really been weathered or aged by the events, but the governments have been able to put these survival packs together. So things must have happened incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I love about this, especially, is that in my opinion, this is a film that nails the show, but do not tell. I didn't catch any, I might be wrong, but I didn't catch any explanation or storytelling of right. what happened. Everything was shown. And yeah. the first instance of this for me was when they pick up the survival kit out of the water, which, which had clearly purposefully been, been put down the river because I would imagine that was one of the only ways they had left to get these supplies out to people. and. Martin Freeman's character, he opens up the survival kit and in there, instantly, is a map of Australia with the infected areas. Absolutely no lip service paid to it whatsoever. It's like, bang, this is the situation you're in. This is how bad it is. They've shown you everything. And I love it when a film does that.
1: Absolutely. Um, They're not pandering to the audience as such, are they? They, they, They're not making out that the audience is stupid.
0: Exactly, And it's like a film like this that is set after the initial start of something could so easily just either give you, and we've seen it so many times with the the zombie genre, they could give you a a, a monologue of something that's happened or writing on the screen, or they could put, you know, um, we saw it like, there seemed to have been in the early two thousands where people really enjoyed putting together like video reports and newspapers and and all that jazz and splice it all together and boom there's your explanation here we are now this film doesn't do that what this film does is it slowly gives you the information by showing you as opposed to telling you and i thought that was it was refreshing to see because so often do people try and catch the audience up by just telling you everything and then here we go
1: absolutely and one of the things that i don't think and again i was looking out for it but i don't think there's any mention of the word zombie within the actual film itself
0: yeah i think you're absolutely right there they, it's not something that they use cuz again and I think
1: it's that's a cliche. it kind of makes it not a zombie film in that sense mm. it clearly is the, the the narrative is that it is a zombie film but the the way they present it to you is so much more mature it's so much more um, interesting than your bog standard zombie film. And by not naming those people who are infected as zombies, I think just makes it much more credible.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it's, it's the, returned, the French TV
1: series, the returned.
0: Uh, no, I haven't. It's on my to watch list. Okay, so uh, they,
1: they do a similar thing in that. That's well worth watching. Um, um, definitely. That these things are not zombies. It's a zombie film. It's a, but it, sorry, a TV series, a zombie TV series, but it's dressed up as um as a drama you know it's much more about the drama than it is about the space. So,
0: yeah awesome Sorry. no I'm, i'll definitely be <laughs> checking that out for sure yeah and you know we're, we're going to talk about other stuff because it informs what we're watching at the moment um and it, it's nice to see that kind of trend happening it's like I, I audiences i think are getting a bit fatigued with being told all the time so when something shows you instead it's brilliant because i would i would watch films yeah, so many times, and they would just give you a big old data dump, and it was it was boring, it was cliched. It's, lazy, it, story, it's, it's lazy, it's lazy writing. Absolutely.
1: So, let's talk then about um, the, because this for me was one of the most, uh, I don't want to sound like a wet blanket when I say this, but honestly, one of the most harrowing <laughs> films I've ever watched. <laughs> so this film
0: must come with a warning. That yes, is, for sure. It's... It's... Oh, you know, and, and I, we must come with a warning. We will likely spoil this film. Oh, we, haven't, no. we haven't yet. Uh, <laughs> if you are concerned, switch yeah. off now. But yeah. if, like me, you like to watch a film and listen along, go for it. We're about to probably spoil the heck out of it. Oh, for
1: sure. Um, yeah, I just... It's,
0: it's an amazing
1: bit of filmmaking, but it's a horrible film. Do you, do you know what I mean when I say that?
0: Yeah. So it's, it, 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 it plays with your emotions. Right. It doesn't feel manipulative. Um, and, and again, you, you can tell when someone is trying to manipulate you to get a feeling out of you. Mm-hmm. But because it invests time in building the relationship between the characters, um, when things happen to the characters, you feel that punch. I just it's I, really I, hard.
1: You know, we're both dads. We yeah. have our children, we love our children, and we'll go into that in a little while, but what happens to that family is just heartbreaking it's horrible and you know i'm not ashamed to say that i had a little cry at the end of the film i was the
0: same oh, i was right the now, same
1: i will never watch that film again
0: <laughs> <laughs> full disclosure i i recommended this one and I <laughs> yeah, sure, seen yeah. it before and you know um, i'm
1: really glad i watched it, it was, yeah it's it was great and it's such it's something i hadn't heard of it's really unknown i love martin freeman as well i think he's such a great actor um but it was just awful i mean really hard to watch it got to probably about an hour in and I took a break and I took a break and just took a moment and then went back to it because it was, it was hard work.
0: Yeah. And, and one, one of the things, so, so blue is the nickname of Martin Freeman's wife. And one of the things that struck me was the fact that Martin Freeman, uh, they come across a a derelict yacht and he goes in there to collect supplies because they're running out of food. Um, and, uh, he, he is able to get in and out safe blue doesn't know he surprises her with a bottle of wine. Um, and, and he says, yeah, no, I went in there. Everything's absolutely safe. No problem. And that was the thing. That's what hit me first off is that, when Blue discovers the bottle of wine that he's hidden for her, yeah. he, she, excuse me, then wants to do something nice for him. Right. And because he said it was safe, she goes into the yacht to see if there's something that she can get for him. Had he told her, she might not have gotten bitten.
1: Was he was like, yeah, right.
0: because he didn't want her to worry about him when he took this risk. Yeah. She took the same risk thinking it was safe. I was like, oh my God, if you just said then none of this could have happened. Um, and then she gets bitten. And again, great That's storytelling.
1: Really great storytelling because you don't see her getting bitten.
0: No, you don't. No.
1: And that, I think, is so much more powerful than this zombie bursting through a door and biting her neck. And You don't see that.
0: No, you only see the after effects. The
1: consequences, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And, and to the point where Martin Freeman's character for a little bit is actually in denial because she didn't see what bit her he's like okay it's going to be okay it was an animal etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not until she turns around to him and she's like no it had fingers mm-hmm. and then he loses it he's like he knows what's going to happen and his again great storytelling
1: it's stunning his reaction to that is is oh, just yeah. spot on you know that acting at that moment and it's that moment of where you can you can see in his face his heart is just broken yeah. it's really it's amazing and-
0: They reinforce that point by Blue goes back to the survival kit that's been you know drifting down the river, and there's a little pack in there about um, you know what to do if you get bitten, et cetera, et cetera. And then you you learn through them talking to each other that they've basically got a forty-eight hour deadline. Which again, they they have a great little um, uh, clock. yeah, absolutely. It looks like a Fitbit click, forty eight hours. So it's a great way of keeping that ticking clock going through the story. You know that it you know time is going to run out and you're constantly against it. Um,
1: and I it, don't I don't know. I might be wrong, but I don't think you ever see the time on it.
0: Um, you do a couple of times But yeah, not agree. often it, It's like they want it to be an aside It's not right. forefront in the storytelling Because that's not the point of the story I don't think the, I think the point of the story is What they go through to get to the yeah. end
1: Oh for sure And yeah. I was, at that point I was fully expecting it to become An episode of 24 With yeah, yeah, exactly. Park on the screen and, and all of that And it wasn't And I was pleasantly surprised by that
0: It never goes into that Which is awesome um, But the to, to reinforce the hopelessness, when you open the survival kit, the one thing that you see is like there, when you come to the end of your 48 hours, this is what you need to do. There's no cure. There's no medication, nothing like that at all. It's like, no, the government is handing out these um, little pods like where you spring load. Um, yeah. You spring load a, uh, a, a pike. Oh. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah straight into your head it's like even the government knows there's nothing you can do there's no cure for this once you're bitten you've got 48 hours and that's it which instantly tells you this is not going to be a race to find a cure or a race to get somewhere safe it's like no blues done in 48 hours blues history and you've got to live with that and you've got to you've got to deal with that and that's harrowing for storytelling
1: mm-hmm. and part of you at that point you really want um martin freeman to just to just drop her, don't you? You just want to go, no, mate, you, you've got a baby. Yeah. Don't go there. But, you know, like each and every one of us, you wouldn't just drop your partner like that. And so it's really truthful in that sense. It, you know,
0: I completely agree. And we haven't spoken much about little Rosie at all. They've got, um, how old would you say Rosie is? Because I didn't catch the age. She seems to be what? like uh, 18 months. Maybe 18 months, yeah. Yeah, max. Because she's not she's really not walking. walking properly. no. No, it's very young, and they, uh, Martin Freeman spends most of the film carrying around in um, um, uh, yeah. I forget what you call them.
1: I don't know, uh, baby carrier. Or baby something?
0: carrier, that's the one. I should know. My wife used to be a baby carrier expert. She used to coach people on how to use them properly. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, she. So we've we've always got this little child, and um, it's. It's putting the point, it's like these parents, yeah, these parents are trying to support each other and survive, but they're doing everything that they can to obviously make sure that their daughter survives. And initially, Blue is the very, well, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. And Martin Freeman's character, whose name escapes me, he, uh, he's a little bit more emotional with his decision making. And, and you get the sense that if it wasn't for Blue, he would probably have unraveled a long time ago. Right. And yeah. we're about to lose that character. So we're about to lose our sense of security.
1: If, his name's Andy.
0: Thank you. There you so, go. It's Andy. Uh, <laughs>
1: Andy. I just looked it up. Um, and weirdly, I I, I can see lots of myself within him in, in the dynamic between him and Blue and and the baby Rose and, and all that. Because like I rely on my wife for stuff like that all the time. She holds me together, and so if she was to just disappear like that. Jesus, God knows what would happen.
0: Yeah, you and me both, flipping heck. I might run a business, but I'll tell you what, Lauren's the one who keeps it together.
1: Right. <laughs> I don't know if that can't be right for all men, can it? But I think that, you know, our partners, our wives, they're the ones who are kind of holding this all together. And so I really felt some empathy with him at that point. You know, losing his rock, you know, that was a a big thing for me. I really...
0: Yeah. And, and it feels like that. yes, they, they've got a, a young child, but this, this relationship, given that how they interact with each other, how nice they are with each other, the fact they've got nicknames for each other and the things that they instinctively do for each other, it feels like they've been at least partners, if not married for years and years. So it, it feels like a relationship with history, which is difficult. I mean, how many times do you see people who are supposed to be partners or romantic interests on screen and they have zero chemistry? You don't believe that there's a history there, but these two, you really do.
1: Uh, Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's brilliant acting on both sides. In fact, I don't think there was anybody in the film at all who wasn't, in my opinion, an exceptional actor. The performances are amazing. Um, We'll come on to it in a moment. But um, I've forgotten her name. Where are we? Simone Landers, mm-hmm. young um, actress, uh, phenomenal. Um, but we'll come on to that in a moment.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I've got the, the the film playing silently in the background um, as we go. And one of the the other things that uh, that's just kind of popped up is that eventually the the boat that they're on it you know, they have to leave it. Um, And they, they get into a car, they're filling up the car. And again, more showing, not telling because we still don't know how the transformation from human to zombie looks. And they're sat in the car. Martin Freeman is filling up the car because it's, it's empty. And blue puts her hand in something um, sort of like a a resin, very sticky. And the Fear on her face when she sees that—it's like to the audience, as far as we're Okay, it's a bit of gunk, whatever. But you start to understand very quickly that this is a byproduct of something that's happening around them, and you believe that fear when you see it.
1: Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. It looked like golden syrup or something like that. Was that. it? Yeah, a little of that. Um, just yeah, absolutely. Um, and then from that moment in the car, that's when we're first really introduced to these. So-called zombies. So, yeah, you know, at that point, we, there's a moment shortly after this happens where we see one in the distance coming towards the car, um, and that's when you first start seeing it. And you know, the zombies—they do have some of the zombie traits that you see from other films, that kind of the staggered walking, the stiff bodies, those sorts of things. But it just feels a bit more human.
0: Yeah, and and it it you, I think you. You're absolutely right. There, it's, it's difficult to explain. It's like, yes, there are threats, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like a disposable villain of the film. It's like zombies are zombies. You, you know, you, you cut their head off. You, you do whatever you have to. You get rid of them. This film doesn't treat them in that way. Yes, there's some, some, uh, some killing of the zombies, but it doesn't feel like the only thing that they're invested in is, is the gore factor and, hey, it's humans versus zombies.
1: Right. And there's that beautiful moment at the end, which I'm, I'm going to go to now, but just through, it highlights this really well, where um, Toomey, the um, Aboriginal girl, um, she sprays the perfume in front of the zombie's face. Mm. And you can see in that moment the zombie's – It's We'll come to it in the end in a bit yeah. more detail. <laughs> no, but
0: you, you're right. It's, it's but
1: it, is, it, it made oh, it feel human, and it, you just in that moment you realize that this thing is actually or was a human, and, and that you know they haven't shed their human skin for zombie skin, it's the same body, and it's clearly some you know something else.
0: It's like they've got um memories of their past, and you can bring that out in them if you 've got the right stimulus or stimuli right um, and yeah, I think at the end, with the the perfume because the, the perfume is something that 's used it 's blue's perfume, martin Freeman he uh uses it to to comfort Rosie um because it 's the only thing that reminds Rosie of mum, obviously uh, young children babies are very tuned in to to sounds and to smells um, and and it smells of blue, and it comforts her, and then at the end it you know. It's, it's used to do the same thing again, which is just a brilliant way of showing that they were human once.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we are shortly after this, we're introduced to Toomey, an, an Aboriginal girl. Uh, phenomenal performance. Um, and she is um, wandering the landscape do you, do you remember this bit?
0: I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, all of a sudden, then we see who we later find out is her dad, and he has already turned, but she's kept him alive by putting um, something in his mouth.
0: I think it was a stick, just a. a but she she's tied it off. I think with uh, like vines from uh-huh. uh, from trees and what have you. So she's created like a, a a makeshift excuse me a makeshift gag for his mouth, so he can't bite anybody.
1: And were his hands tied too? I I feel like they were.
0: I think they were tied together in front of him, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so just so he can attack, and she was almost holding on to that belief that her dad was, um, you know, there might be a way of rescuing him or something like that. I thought that was really interesting and and quite a beautiful moment um, because when we do see the dad, you can almost see the humanity in his eyes. You can almost see that he's there was remnants of her dad still there. And that's what she's holding on to. I think that's interesting.
0: Yeah. And what's it, it's, it's kind of flipped as well, because we learned that she's, Chumi is trying to run away from her mother, Yeah, um, which is very interesting. She's, she's holding on to her dad, which is clearly the past. I mean, he, the, the, for all intents and purposes, the father has died. He's now a zombie. Um, but instead of, Electing to live with her mother and the tribe who as we learn are actually doing incredibly well for themselves because they've adapted Or they've adopted the old ways and they're living in the in the outback Um, She's wearing modern clothing. She's wearing shoes um, She's putting leaves on the bottom of her shoes so that she can't be tracked by her mother So she's trying to avoid the living and trying to preserve her father who for all intents and purposes is dead, which is a very interesting way of kind of showing that on, on screen.
1: Yeah. I I thought the, um, the use of costume there was, was quite good too. Like you kind of touched on it there that she wears quite modern clothes, but there's the Aboriginal feel, the Aboriginal face paint. There is the, um, older chap from the, um, Aboriginal group. Mm. Um, and he is dressed as you would expect from the aboriginal kind of stereotype that we see in films but the others aren't there's one of them who's wearing a basketball vest um and it's been dirtied and what have you but it just adds that you know reality that they're almost like refugees in their own land
0: yeah and that kind of um it drew me in a little bit actually because i found it quite odds but again that's just me from my perspective i found it quite odd to see these people behaving in that way but wearing almost modern clothing but i think it was a it, it was it was a good way of showing the fact that even though um some of these younger generations had been uh drawn into modern living the older way of living hadn't died at all wow. um and one of the things that and again we'll we, we're going to have to eventually skip to the end. But um, one of the things that I'll cover at the end is, is about the loss of culture and what it inevitably means for some of the characters in the way that this film wraps up.
1: I, I wanted more of that from the film, that mm. loss of culture and I, you know, a film is only finite long and, and this, that and the other, but I felt like there was some room to explore that in a bit more detail, especially with Toomey and kind of her background i wanted to know more about her where she came from and and all of that I i felt like that might have made it a bit more human and i felt like there were opportunities to do that as well when her and martin freeman were talking there was opportunities for that to happen and i don't think it happened enough
0: no it's it it certainly feels that way um it could have been the fact that the i mean a film like this it doesn't feel like it would have been given much time or budget so they may not have had the time or budget but at the same time it also feels like the directors took every opportunity to uh not use dialogue as a form of telling story and so it might have gone against what they were attempting to do in the first place i mean it it would have opened up a very long dialogue which this film doesn't have in almost any place i mean it shows a tremendous amount uh
1: yeah the, the like you said the use of dialogue isn't um isn't that extensive um when it is used though, I think it's quite carefully used. Um and I still feel like there was room for for that within that carefully used dialogue. Um I'm just gonna go to the bit where and I don't know his name, but they you know they come across the man and his partner and, and that yeah. there was quite a lot of dialogue in that part. And I feel like you know, again we could have found out a bit more about them. Um the enigma of not knowing about them, I guess, it creates that story it, it makes you want to know more but I really felt like there was room to find out a bit more
0: yeah you I mean you certainly could have found out a little bit more about how everybody got to this situation so Martin Freeman comes across a character who's stuck he helps him escape and that character takes him to where he's currently living with somebody who he introduces does he introduce him as his wife or partner I can't remember you certainly assume that yeah and you find out later that that is rubbish um now i i agree that it would have been a great opportunity to find out a little bit, a bit more but for me that character that guy who was your i suppose your villain beyond the zombies that was actually one of the weakest parts of the film for me because um, i i felt that it started to go into stereotypes of what you would expect from this type of film and i didn't appreciate that at all
1: uh so you watch uh, i'm a celebrity get me out of here
0: Uh, very rarely, very rarely.
1: (laughs) Good, good shout. (laughs) Uh, But there's this guy, I don't know what they call him, but he runs the shack. And when the celebrities win these points, they can go trade them in for nice stuff in the shack.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: That guy from the film reminds me of the guy from I'm a Celebrity. (laughs) It's really, um, uh, stereotypical Outback Australian. Yeah. And I felt like all of yeah, you are right. We fell into those stereotypes. It was weak in terms of what is a very, very good and well structured and well thought through film. Those stereotypes were lazy.
0: Yeah. And and I think I think that was purposeful though, because I would imagine a film like this, because you don't have time and budget, everything that is on screen is everything that is decided to have been important. And when you get back to it. That character, as hokey and as stereotypical as it might have been, it did drive the story further. Um, it showed you the the difference I felt between um, the society that is supposed to be modern everybody 's looking out for themselves um, he 's only interested in creating profit after this resolved after the situation is is, is resolved um, and they're always looking for how do i make my next buck and i thought that's why that character was there it was to draw a comparison between the society that martin freeman is used to you know living in yeah. and the um aboriginal society they weren't looking to deal with everything after the fact. They were adapting to see how it is the best way to survive during this situation because they understood that this was never going to resolve. It was never going to go back to how it was. So even though I felt that that character was stereotypical, it drew a great comparison between the two societies living in Australia.
1: Yeah, I, I get that. I can see that. Um, I still stand by the fact that lazy stereotypes, but, oh, yeah. you know, perhaps there's a reason for it. Um, and I think that, that that moment, that character in that bit, although, yes, it's there to drive the narrative. Um, I think that in what was otherwise a really quite exceptional film in, in every way, you could see this is um, an early film <clears throat> for the director. Mm. I think that really came across in, in that part there.
0: Yeah, but
1: incredibly well
0: put together early film.
1: Oh, with that, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's I'll amazing. Say,
0: if you've not guessed already, I think both, we we don't talk about these films before we come on here, which has so, actually been quite difficult.
1: <laughs> I, was so, I was so tempted to call you up and say yeah. how much I hated you for making me watch
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we, we, we try our best not to talk about them before, but I think obviously you get, we both really enjoyed this as, as harrowing and difficult a watch as this was. Mm. Um, I, I personally really enjoyed this film. Um, and yeah, when I got to the end, it crushed me. Don't get me wrong. The first time I watched it, I was like, my God, this is a hard film, but I'm glad I watched it.
1: Yeah, for me, it's up there with Schindler's List. You know, amazing bit of filmmaking. Mm. Watch it again.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, I'll I'll, I'll probably. I mean, again, I've I've seen this film three times, but the first time I watched it was when it first came onto Netflix, and the last two times I watched it was for this podcast. Right. Okay. Had I not been reviewing it on this pod, I probably would never have seen this film again. It was a good Um, shot
1: really good shot in terms of you know when we were looking for a film that was reflective of what's happening in the world today i really think this is great and one of the things when i was looking at so afterwards i did looked into it later so i was really interested the poster the mm-hmm. um you know the advertising um slogan is the future is fragile um and i just think that sums up everything where we're at at the minute you know. absolutely We've had Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister, telling us that we're not allowed out of our houses unless we do, you know, for a very few very number very
0: specific reasons. reasons, yeah.
1: And if we do, the police have the powers to um, admit fines and, and, and things like that. And I just think that's really interesting. The future is fragile, and we don't know. We are living in quite possibly, in my lifetime, certainly the most um, the most fragile. Moment, you know, we—I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next week, next month. I don't know, and I think that this film, every character in there, it feels exactly like that. Yeah, you know, Martin Freeman does not know what's going to happen tomorrow. He doesn't know what's—he has no—he doesn't know what to expect or what's going to come to him or what's going to happen to his daughter or what's going to happen to Toomey or any of his characters. He doesn't have that information. Absolutely,
0: no. I would say even even when you know, they give you a ticking clock and it's 48 hours and it's like, okay, cool. So this character has got 48 hours to live. It's like, no, no, the film pulls the rug from under you because they swerve off the road. They crash and blue's done. She's, she's, she's killed there. And then she doesn't get her 48 hours. Mm -hmm. She never gets to say goodbye to her child. It's like, even though she's faced with this situation, you've no idea. And it's blue that bites Martin Freeman, Andy. And, um, and then it's like, Oh, Now he's on 48 hours. Well, we just saw one character disappear before their time. Is It's the same going to happen to Andy. No, I know.
1: I know. It's um, Part of me was quite glad when they had the car crash.
0: Yeah. I I kind of get what you mean there.
1: I was just like, you know, because you said a big stick coming out of her, don't you?
0: (laughs) She's impaled by a branch or something. You know,
1: interestingly... Interesting to me, not to anyone else in the world, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. Years ago, I was driving to work and I crashed my car on the way Oof. and a big stick came through the windscreen and went no. into the passenger seat, exactly like it did in the film, right? Went into the passenger seat. I've told the story a hundred times to students and every time they go, yeah, right, that's bullshit, that's rubbish. It's <laughs> totally true, right? Came through the windscreen, into the car. And if I'd had a passenger, they would have been impaled much like Blue was. At Jeez. that point, straight through, yeah.
0: I No, I did not know that, flippin' neck.
1: But it's interesting, isn't it? Because it does just take her out the storyline straight away. It's like,
0: bosh, done. Yeah, she's done. It's like, nope, gone. And and it kind of, it it doesn't, an act like that in a film would normally relieve tension because, okay, the person who's going to be turned into a zombie is gone, their history. So Mm -hmm. you get a bit of a breather. Absolutely not with this film. this film is relentless it 's like Martin Freeman loses consciousness, and when he comes round, Blue is a zombie, and he has two choices: he can try and exit the car or he goes for Rosie and he goes for Rosie, and when he goes for Rosie, blue bites her uh, bites him, um, and then he, he manages to get out of the car with Rosie nice and safe. He has to put Rosie on the ground walk over to the car and a massive release of emotion where he just simply just screams. Mm -hmm. I was like, how do you respond in that situation? You're in the middle of nowhere. Your wife has passed. You're about to turn into a zombie and you have a very young child who's no hope of fending for herself. Mm -hmm. This is where the film really starts to get me. Cause I'm like, I've got two kids myself who could never live without me you know, in that situation, I mean, today's a little different, you know, someone would take over either right. social services. But in the Australian you, Outback. Oh yeah. In the Australian Outback, no chance of survival. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I just want to bring up is completely unrelated to what we've been talking about, but really I thought it was quite good. So when I saw that Martin Freeman was in this film, I was fully expecting him to have an Australian accent. I was fully expecting him to be Australian. Because the whole production is Australian. All yep. the other characters are Australian. Everything about this film is Australian apart from him. And I thought, all right, here we go. We're going to hear Martin Freeman. But he wasn't, he was English. And I think that was such a smart move. And I wonder if he had always been in production when they were writing this, if he was Australian when they'd written it. Mm. I don't know. Or if they'd gone, oh, do you know what? Actually, it would be better if he was British. I don't know. There was something about that though that for me made it a bit more real. I think it would have been a little bit, a bit too much fantasy for me, if he had had an Australian accent.
0: I, I agree. I mean, this is back in 2017. So Martin Freeman was just kind of coming onto the scene in a big way. Now, don't get me wrong. The man's been around for years. Uh, and he's awesome. great scene
1: in, um, oh, Love Actually. Is it oh. Love
0: Actually? Yeah, yeah. He, well, he's <laughs> in that. Yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 he's the porn star at the beginning he's yeah having, it's
1: brilliant he's having sex with um the girl from Galen- yeah that's right
0: that's right yeah. and and it's <laughs> it's like going to the office for him you know it's like so <laughs> how, how was your day yeah as yeah, he's so walking he, back and forth talking about going to the office he was in the office yes he was yeah and uh, i, I my he, god it was awesome
1: is that where he started
0: in the office i don't know if that's where he started but that's where he started being noticed And obviously he shot to fame with The Hobbit um, because that was massive production. So I think at this point in time, Martin Freeman was just coming onto the scene. So he wasn't even all that massive at this point. No,
1: no. Um,
0: Although I'm trying to
1: think 2017, had he done Sherlock?
0: I think Sherlock had been done by. I think Sherlock started 2016, but I might be wrong there. I'm better on film than TV. But again, that's, that's awesome.
1: In terms of international, though, I mean, because this is ultimately an international film. Yeah. They're produced in Australia. The Australian film industry is very small. So it's going to be international. It's a Netflix original. So we know, you know it's got millions of subscribers worldwide. So this is going to put him front and center in terms of being a film star. And so we've seen him do television, loads of television. He's amazing. but now he's doing film. Um and in a big way, he's a lead in a film rather than yes. a small character he's he's a lead in a film and so yeah he
0: he's shot straight to leading man, which is very impressive
1: and that that sets him up though doesn't it he you know it, it's such a well suited role for him
0: i completely agree and, and and i i i agree with you in the sense that it would have been far too easy simply just to have, you know trying to play about with an australian accent yeah. but I think it adds to the fact that you know he is He's out of his depth. Now, we don't know how long he's been living in Australia, so he could actually be quite uh, accustomed to living in that environment. We, we don't know that. We, all we know is that he's on a boat, and he wants to stay on the boat. He wants to see that boat take him as far as it will take him. So this is a character that is used to playing it safe. But when Blue is eliminated and he is against the clock, he can't play it safe. He has to do anything he can in a short space of time to see to the survival of his daughter you certainly
1: get the impression that he's someone who's grown up and lived 99 percent of his life in the suburbs
0: yeah yeah that's exactly the impression you get and he doesn't know who to who to who to trust and and the right decisions to make because you see him try and do it twice um he he tries to he thinks about giving his daughter to a nurse that they meet at um, at what turns out to be the world's smallest medical facility because it's just an X on a map. Yeah. Um, and But he, he can't do that because as lovely as that character is, and she is lovely, mm-hmm. but you, your heart breaks. She's recovering from cancer. She has no hope of surviving because there's no medical care for them now. So that's not a long-term that was plan.
1: A really, oh. That was quite a tough bit to watch too, actually.
0: Yeah. Because you're Very such hard.
1: a lovely lady. You just... Oh, I, because I, I actually thought that he was going to take her with him. Yeah. But she wasn't well enough. She wasn't fit no. enough. That, that couldn't have happened.
0: And, and there's no way that she would have been able to raise uh, Andy's daughter because she, her lifespan wouldn't have been long enough. So that wasn't a safe bet. And then when you come across the, uh, the supposed couple, but you, you later find out that he was a guy who worked on the, I think it was the same oil rig as the woman's husband. And he just left him there and then basically took this woman for his own. Um, He tries to leave his daughter there and commit suicide before he turns. But again, that was a bad call because um, it's, it's the situation is not what it seems. So he's so desperate to find a place for his daughter to survive, um, that he's, you know, he's, he's making almost incredibly bad calls.
1: There was an interesting moment later on where he comes across a guy digging a grave for his family. Mm. And, uh, the guy pulls out a revolver six shooter with six bullets in it. And he says to, he's got a family. So, um, uh, the scene is that, um, Martin Freeman is, um, with his daughter and, um, they, they kind of come across this family and the the guy is digging this enormous what you it's a pit but you assume it's a grave yeah uh, and he says to martin freeman there's six bullets in here i'm going to use four of them you need to use the other two afterwards and at that moment in time i was you know that so many times during this film i, I thought to myself what would i do in this situation and you know, i'm such a weak human being i would have been like yeah. All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I get it. I really do. Cause it's like, you want, you, as a parent, you naturally want the best for your children. And when you're faced with, if I don't find somewhere for my daughter to grow up and I turn into this beast, I'm going to eat my daughter.
1: Yeah. And he knows and that, that plays is, on you. Time is running away from him. Yeah. And so it's such, it's, it's a solution. He's presented with a solution. Thankfully he doesn't do that, but he is presented with a solution. Yeah.
0: And what I like though, is that he instantly does it. He doesn't even think about it. doesn't miss a beat. He, the, the look that he gives that man in terms of disgust and how dare you, is like, okay, you know that everything that Andy is going to do is for the survival of his daughter. And he's not even going to think twice about it.
1: And that's, Amazing. You just, I don't know. I
0: think you like him even more for doing that. Yeah. As a, it's like a look only Martin Freeman can give. And he's given it in a few performances. Oh, as yeah. well. like, That yeah. look of disdain. Absolutely, absolutely priceless. But so, what is the, the, the man who has been bitten in the neck? You can see it. Who is going to shoot his family, um, who, who's digging it. It's like he's making the assumption. That his family won't survive without him, even though the mother is still there. So he's being very selfish because there's still a caregiver there, but it's not the same situation that Andy has dealt because he's the only person left to look after his daughter. That's
1: interesting because I assumed that they had all been bitten.
0: Ah, it's possible. Right. I didn't see any. I'm gonna to have to go back and watch it another time. You don't
1: see anything for sure. You don't see anything the at all. kids are both playing really nice, and yeah. the mums are playing with them. But in my head, I just assumed that if it was, you know, if he was going to be killing them all, then they must all have been infected.
0: It's possible. Um, I didn't read the scene the same way, but that's certainly one way of looking at it. It's just that they seemed far too happy.
1: No, you right? But at the same time. Yeah
0: that the father wasn't hiding the bite on his neck so no. surely the family knew that he'd been bitten
1: maybe the wife did and maybe mm. she's going along with it because the kids would be too young to true to know about it anyway
0: or or, or you know to get any kind of uh, um they might have understood from a, a basic standpoint but they wouldn't really understand the gravity of the situation
1: yeah, yeah absolutely
0: so now that's, that's really interesting um but yeah i mean six bullets you know, she, I mean, you, you see it in another film that if we get onto it would be quite cool. Uh, the mist. Have you seen the mist? Yeah. The, the film, not the TV series. Yes. Yeah. Is that, you know, it's, it's a similar thing. The situation there is like, yeah. damn, how do you do something like that? Absolutely but um yeah and, and you know he he went back to find that family because he we saw them at the beginning when they're yes. on their boat he went back to them to see if he could leave his daughter with them i mean he's just so in need of finding someone and the three um the three situations that he's presented with that fail are from modern society yeah. the ex teacher now a nurse who's, you know, not going to recover from cancer. Yeah. Um, the oil rig worker who is not who he says he is and is, is only in for the profit of it once oh. everything's blown over. And the family who has given up hope um, and would sooner shoot his daughter because, they're, you know, they're infected. And, you know, skipping forward a little bit, the only option that he's left with is to find Toomey's family
1: and do we how old do you raise
0: me? her? How old? I'd say Toomey was probably maybe somewhere between ten and twelve.
1: I was thinking about twelve. I yeah. think she seems that kind of maturity, but I'm not sure. She's quite small.
0: Yes, she is a small twelve-year-old.
1: Because there, there's a moment, isn't there, where um, the very end, where we see her emerge from the mist, and mm. she, her, and the baby are both riding on Martin Freeman's back. And so for me, I just figured that she must be like really young.
0: Yes. Quite light in frame, Uh huh. but she's got the, she has a maturity about her that suggests that she's, you know, older than the, the, the frame that she looks because she could easily pass for someone who's, you know, maybe eight, mm-hmm. um, yeah. because she, she is, she's very small. Um, but at the same time, she has a maturity and an understanding about the situation that's going on, but it could just be the fact that because this situation is so dire, she's been forced to grow up fast. Yeah, she has no choice because we, uh, we see her locked up um, as bait by the, uh, the man who is, um, you know, trying to pose with the woman as husband and wife.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, that, that's an interesting scene, I think where we see them locked up and, he's putting the blood around the cages and stuff. I thought that was a really interesting scene. Um, it Had kind of remnants of um, Saw, of that kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, the real kind of horror. That was a proper horror moment there. Um, and this, you know, this impending doom that was coming their way and, and never did, was thankfully.
0: Yeah. Um, Especially when Martin Freeman gets locked up in the cage as well and they have to come up with an escape plan.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was quite good. Yeah, it was, it was. quite genius. Yeah, I like but it. I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head sore. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of gives that feeling to it, doesn't it?
1: Have you ever seen Hostel?
0: Oh yeah, one, two and it, three, yeah.
1: It wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of place from one of those films.
0: Yeah. but that's without,
1: Not the film. Just no, no, the, no.
0: the, the, the tension, But there, because there was very, there's very little gore in this film when you mm-hmm. consider what it's tackling.
1: Yeah. I that's one of the beauties of it though, is it not?
0: Yeah, you, you it, don't need to show all that. You see anything.
1: crusty eyes and crusty noses and stuff like that, which is a bit grim to look at, but it's not the gnashing at necks and stuff like that. You don't see any of
0: that. Yeah, the the gore is not foreign. Uh, it, it's not the, the, the showy point of this at all. No. They're so invested in the storytelling yeah. that it almost doesn't matter because you still get the effective horror and the emotional um, sort of uh, impact from the film without showing all of that. You don't need yeah, yeah. No I love that I thought it was really smart really good absolutely um we we we're going to have to do it we're going to have to get to the end um my <laughs> god this was this is where and, and you've already said that you you had a few tears i i my god i was crying by the end of this the first time i watched it um i'm with all due respect i'm just glad that the first time wasn't the time that we were doing for this podcast because i'm not <laughs> sure i could have come on here and talked about it because it was tough it's,
1: it is tough and it's really interesting um because it, it's a it's a mix of emotions because you're happy that there is a solution of sorts you're upset because martin freeman has now turned you're i don't oh god i don't know i mean i just found myself just being i was just a mess you know it's a. Uh, I think with everything that's going on in the world and all of that at the moment in real life, with this, it just sent me over the edge. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a crier when it comes to films anyway. You know, Jesus, I can only watch Romeo and Juliet up to the point where she falls asleep. I can't watch any (laughs) further. Once the ship starts sinking in Titanic, I'm like, game <laughs> over. I can't watch anymore. That
0: That's Titanic. fair. And, you know, having children does something to you because I think I would have watched this before I had children and thought nothing of it. Yeah. But the first time I watched this was after I'd had children and it really hit. And I've noticed that with a lot of films after having children, it's like, I am much more emotionally invested in these characters than I ever would have been before. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I was talking to my mum and she said to me, oh, have you got anything worth watching? And everyone's locked in the house, there's nothing to watch. You've got anything, what have you seen recently? I said, oh, mum, you do not want to watch this <laughs> in bits. She was like, oh, I will not watch that then. <laughs> Just like, but she, she said the same thing to me though about the. Do you think that you found it so emotional because you've got Aubrey, my daughter, and uh, I said, yeah, 100%. You know, I think that with, if I hadn't had Aubrey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me because I didn't have that access to those emotions before Aubrey was born. I, didn't I completely, really I completely,
0: like little children before Aubrey was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, I've been teaching children martial arts for years and years and years, and I have a connection with those kids. You know, you're emotionally invested in them. You want to see them do well. Yeah. But when it comes to that um, personal connection, that's between a child and the parent, for sure. A hundred percent. So, you know, it was naive of me to think that, oh yeah, because I've been teaching kids is that I knew what parents were thinking. Absolutely not. It no, wasn't well, that I had my own kids. I was like, oh my God, yeah. what would I do to ensure the survival uh-huh. of my child, knowing that I was going to be gone in 48 hours?
1: So there's a, one of my favorite expressions. When I was working out in Colorado, I had a friend called, so I have a friend called Tim. And he said that, he used this expression that he would lay down in traffic for someone. And I Mm. feel like that summarises being a dad. Yeah. You would do anything for your kids. You would literally lay down in traffic for them. And And you wouldn't even
0: think twice about it. No. And this is what you see Andy doing in the film. It's like, he is doing everything he knows how to do. And inevitably, it comes down to the fact that he has to get Uh, Rosie, I think it is, to this Aboriginal family, because they're the only ones in this whole situation who are thriving. They have adopted their old ways of how to live in the outback. And I'm not
1: sure it's thriving. I say it's surviving. They're
0: surviving. Yeah, you, you, you're right there. They're they're surviving, but they're doing. In fact, one of the characters, I forget who it's who it is. I think it's the nurse. But one of the characters, because she has links with the family. Um, she gives Martin Freeman, um, Martin Freeman's character a photo of Toomey and uh, her father and the family. She said, yeah. "They're doing an awful lot better than we are."
1: Yeah.
0: And and so he kind of understands that. Because all the other situations he 's come across have been failures, he has to get his daughter to yeah. his family it 's the only way she 's going to have a chance of surviving yeah. and so toomey, Andy, and Rosie set off but because andy is is nearing his end, the way that they get to toomey 's family is unreal yeah. I mean to have the strength in you, as a, as, a, you know, as a father to be able to, to do that is, I just, no way. I'm like, wow. Yeah,
1: uh, they, they do a really good job. So in the film, um, you get to the end and, and uh, Toomey's family are, are aboriginals. They're dressed as, in kind of traditional face paint and warrior kind of gear. Um, and they're walking away and all of a sudden you, they hear a whistle. And they hear it a few times, they turn around, and then emerging from this smoke, this dust, uh, you see the silhouette of Martin Freeman with Toomey and Rosie on his back, and he 's got a pole out in front of him with a a bloody rag on the front that 's kind of guiding him, much kind of like carrot leading he 's got
0: i think it 's animal entrails or it might be human entrails, yeah
1: and leading him forward and she's kind of just directing him um and then does he puts a guard in his mouth as well yeah so
0: from the survival kit i'm guessing that they had a contingency if you didn't want to put the pike in your skull um Uh is there's a like a gum shield so that you can't bite anyone and um uh, cable ties i think it is to to tie your hands together and so Toomey is on Martin Freeman's back with a stick with entrails on the end, guiding Martin Freeman, who's got a gum shield in his mouth so he can't bite. His hands are tethered together so he can't claw. Yeah. And he's carrying Toomey and Rosie to Toomey's family.
1: But it's just amazing because um, Toomey's family's initial kind of reaction to that is to kill him you know uh, Lido picks up his um, spear goes to launch it into Martin Freeman once uh, Rosie and Tumi are off his back and she puts she puts her hand out doesn't she she stopped the 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 spear goes to her hand like that and she stops it yeah and um, they she kind of again like you said earlier all the storytelling is done visually there's no dialogue here whatsoever she shakes her head she pulls out um, Blue's perfume, sprays it. And this is the moment I was talking about earlier. And mm. I think, for me, just the most beautiful moment in the whole film. And I was in bits at this point anyway. Um, but this, for me, was just stunning. Because all of a sudden, this monster, you know, Martin Freeman has turned into a zombie. And then all of a sudden, he's not.
0: He's yeah, they, they, they managed. I don't know how they've done it, but you're right. They've managed to humanize a zombie.
1: Yeah, it's, I think it's the, the close-up the close on his face there. And so all of a sudden he's like twitching and doing this and then that just calms him down. The perfume. Yeah, the perfume, sorry, yeah. And you can see those um, that in his, for what's left of facial expression, you can see that that's just calmed him down. Yeah. And once he's calm, then Toomey gives the nod and you don't see it, though. You don't. See no, they never it.
0: show you his demise.
1: I, again, I think it's a beautiful thing because it would have been so easy to do that, you know, for what is, you know, what potentially could have been a gore fest isn't.
0: Oh, yeah. Easy. And, and things that are low budget usually rely on uh-huh. gore because it's the easiest thing to do for them.
1: Yeah. But actually the imagination of it, I think using your imagination is so much more powerful.
0: I completely agree. And, and for me, the, the thing that brought me to tears was just before just before Andy turned into a zombie, um, he is saying goodbye to Toomey and he's saying goodbye to Rosie. He knows he oh. is never going to see his daughter again, but oh, he is going to be the vehicle that takes them to safety. Um, and you know, he buries his yep. head in the sand because you, you find out through the film that they need sun, uh, excuse me, they need darkness to complete the transformation. Um, or at least we assume because they never tell you anything specific. You just see a lot of people with their head buried in the sand, and when they and come out there, they're, yeah, they're fully rant. fleshed. So good. And, um, but it's, it's survival through necessity. It's like he knows that this is what has to happen because you can't stop it. So what is the best thing that he can do? He says goodbye to his daughter, which I don't know how you find the strength for that. And, um, and he carries them to safety. And that was the bit that had me in tears is that when he was saying goodbye and then when he emerges through that smoke.
1: But then the most beautiful moment of it all where they've got the little baby Little Rosie, the Aboriginal family, and they lift up her top, and he's with the uh, clay markings that toomey has got on her face. He's written "thank you" on the baby's tummy. Oh
0: my! Yeah. Lord. Oh yeah! I'd forgotten about that. It's like I geez. was in bits. Oh god! <laughs> it was. It was. It was tough to watch, but it resonates with you in such an emotional way that even though the ending is tough, it is for all intents and purposes. A happy ending <laughs> is a desperate situation.
1: It is. It's, it's the best outcome. It's the best possible outcome. Yeah. Um, but horrendous nonetheless. Awful, which um, is why
0: I'm happy to never watch it again. Yeah, Thank I you never watch it But, again. but, I, you know, it's, but oh I, I say I would never
1: watch it again. I would urge any of you who are listening or watching or whatever to watch it. It's a phenomenal yeah. piece of filmmaking. It's really, really good. Um it really is different, I think, to anything that's out there in terms of its storytelling. I think it's very, very good.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I said right at the beginning of this that I think the storytelling is phenomenal. There is no wasted dialogue. There's no wasted time. The storytelling is so on point that it, it, still ha- it still finds the time somehow to show you everything. It yes. doesn't have to give you a data dump. It no. doesn't have to give you masses of explanation because the directors find, and, and it's probably incredibly smart writing as well, they find a way to show you everything. They don't have to explain a thing which is phenomenal for a film like this.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when I, I did a bit of research, I think this film is based on a similar film made by the directors uh, that they made. This is like a remake, mm-hmm. like a, a higher budget remake of the original, is is my Oh, nice. I could well be wrong, but I, I think that's my understanding.
0: No, that's I'll, I'll look that up um, super quick. But, um,
1: but I think that's quite interesting in the sense that you know it's still not big budget. We're still oh no, no, no! It. It's a low budget film, but it doesn't feel like it.
0: No, it, it, it yeah, it, I would, I would agree with that. I couldn't really add too much. It, it does feel like it was on a short, short time to film yeah. it. And a low budget, but at no point does it feel like a low budget film. So you can tell through production values on certain films that, yeah, they had no budget. But because this is all done, I I would assume most of it anyway, is done in the actual environment that they're supposed to be in. It's in the Outback, it's in Australia. Um, They've been able to conserve... The budget that they do have, and make it feel like a really high-budget production.
1: It does feel like that. I think a lot of it is to do with the cinematography. You know, there's a quite a lot of use of drone shots throughout it. You know, and they are—they're cheap, they're nice. You know, dr- drones have made um, aerial photography affordable, um, and those initial shots that we see of that landscape—it's just—it's amazing. It's you know, really awesome. gorgeous. And so I don't know who the cinematographer is. So quick look, but. Um, does a really good job. Where are we? Jeffrey Simpson. Um, Did have a quick look. So um, there's nothing on there that I have heard of in terms of his um, filmography there. Um,
0: No, I can't. He doesn't come to mind for me. But that's, that's awesome, don't you think? Because to find somebody who is, well, completely unheard of, but know. to recognise his skill.
1: We say he's completely unheard of. I don't think he is in that sense. Um I think he's actually pretty well heard of. I just think perhaps we haven't heard stuff of Stuff that we've not films. heard of.
0: These are the types of things that in the future we will iron out because you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't even bring up his name. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I, lots of Australian stuff, but it kind yeah. of like, you know, some, some pretty big budget stuff there. Uh, so I See, think...
0: Here we go. So Cargo is a 2017 Australian film um, and the film stars. Okay. So Cargo is a remake of Rank and Howling's 2013 short film of the same name.
1: There you go. They made
0: a a short film in 2013 that must've gotten somebody's eye and they were able to make a feature length version of that short film.
1: Yeah. And it, Oh, I just, you know, I can see how this was a short film, but I can also see how this is a feature film. You know, it works both ways.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean sometimes you expand on a short film and it's like, nah, it should have just stayed a short film. Whereas I'm like, this was brilliant.
1: Another film they uh do you know um District 13? no, district, district,
0: district thirteen?
1: No, district, yeah. district by Neil
0: Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp, Yeah. That um, film is well, we might cover it, but whatever. That film is outstanding.
1: Outstanding. Absolutely amazing. But that is based on a short film he made, something like Alive in Joburg.
0: Which yes, is, I, you, I remember.
1: Right? So you can look it up on YouTube. And it's fun- you, when you think, well, you, you watch Alive in Joburg, and you just think, this guy is a, an amateur filmmaker. Oh, I mean, he's not amateur. This guy is seriously talented.
0: Yeah. But
1: that, that short film is what got him noticed so that he could make District Nine. And District Nine's yeah. a masterpiece it's
0: awesome it's phenomenal
1: and And funnily enough
0: oh sorry carry on sorry
1: i just gonna say there is something in that isn't there they're making these short films get noticed and then developing them into these hugely successful films
0: absolutely and with the critical and and commercial failure of neil blumkamp's most recent films what was that so he he's done um, Elysium, which was critically panned. That was amazing! And don't uh, I, this is not my opinion. This is Hollywood. <laughs> um, I love that So he he did Elysium and he did um, Chappie. Um, Chappie. Yes, he, Ch- Chappie was How
1: about a robot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah about a robot. Oh, okay. it, it's almost like Short Circuit on steroids. <laughs> um, so yeah, he did Elysium and he did Chappie and. You know, he got to the point where his films were critically panned and they weren't making money. So he got put in director's jail to get out of director's jail. He's gone back. He's created his own studio, I think it's Oat Studios, and he's released a whole string of short films Mm -hmm. on YouTube for free to get back into making big films again. Right. So he's basically banned from it.
1: Because I think that sci-fi is where he's he's best. I love Um, sci-fi. I mean,
0: had they been able to, because he was supposed to make an alien film and that film I want to see like oh, wow. one of the reasons yeah. that Sigourney Weaver is in one of his oat production films on YouTube for free is because they were talking about making an alien film in between alien two and alien three. So oh. alien three basically never happened. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's a film I want to see, yeah, but they a- wouldn't let him. They just, they, uh, for some reason it didn't uh, happen.
1: It's all about the money, isn't it? It's Hollywood. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then he was he was rumored to be on for RoboCop the remake, uh, which I think would have been much better than what we got.
1: Jesus, did you see that film?
0: Yes, I did. Yeah, and and I like ah um, oh, the main actor. He was in Altered Carbon.
1: Yeah, I know the guy. Um, I
0: forget his name off the top of my head, but anyway, um, I, I enjoy. I like that actor. He's good, but um, RoboCop was not. <laughs> Even Gary Oldman couldn't save it.
1: Geez, I hated that film. That was so bad. It was not. Um, anyway.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Off on a tangent.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, we, 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 could, we could shoot the breeze about films literally all day long.
1: Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I oh. mean, I don't have too much more to say about it, in all honesty. The,
0: the no. one thing, the one last thing I wanted to say, because I alluded to it earlier, was a point about culture when it came to the end. Well... Something for me that was not harrowing, harrowing is the wrong word, something for me that was quite sad was the fact that Rosie is going to grow up in a culture that she initially was never supposed to belong to, had life continued as normal. Right. And for me, it was like the complete elimination and deletion from history of where she came from. Because her mother's dead, her father's dead. And Chumi, I would imagine at her age, would have a limited understanding of the culture that they grow up in. Yeah. And so, again, it was that dichotomy between the culture that, that she was supposed to live in and the culture that she's going to grow up in, the one that's going to keep her alive. And there was something fundamentally sad about that. It was almost like wiping out an entire species which we've seen in actual human history before.
1: Is that not, though, a comment on the uh, eradication of the Aboriginal culture within Australia?
0: Absolutely, 100%. Because, um, yeah, I'm fully aware of what
1: I'm, I'm happening.
0: for years and, years and years I'm and years.
1: Not and I agree. That at all, but that is, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? You know, that flipping the table on it there.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's I, extremely I, I, effective extremely effective storytelling but it was something that i was like if my daughter were to grow up not knowing what i as a human being stood for Mm -hmm. would be fundamentally so destroying for me but this is what that culture has been going through for decades yeah i completely agree yeah
1: no a very interesting point absolutely uh
0: Right. Okay. So this is our very first one. <laughs> so I, I propose live that this is how we rate it. Now feel free to contradict me because we're, we're going to be finding our way as we go. I don't like comparing a film outside of its genre to another film because I don't think they're comparable. Okay. So what I would say is we simply give a recommend or a not recommend but we only compare it to things inside its genre. Cause there's no point in comparing this to something like uh, Ferris Bueller's day out. Cause it's not comparable, you know?
1: Okay.
0: So I, I, I don't like out of 10 cause I think it's, it's very reductive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm like simply, would you recommend this? Wouldn't you recommend it? And a little explanation as to why.
1: Do you want to go first or shall I?
0: uh no go for it i've sprung it on you so why not
1: (laughs) i I would highly recommend this film i think it is an exceptional piece of filmmaking i think that if you are looking at uh if you are somebody who's interested in making films um it demonstrates the importance of storytelling over action um and and you know the, the big budget action kind of sequences um i think it's it's a phenomenal piece of storytelling it is dark it's harrowing but it's refreshing in terms of the genre in that zombie genre so yeah 100% recommend
0: you awesome um yeah so in terms of again compared to other stories inside the zombie genre i think that this offers something incredibly different to what is out there already because it got to a point where zombie genre was almost completely played out and we'd seen a lot of fatigue because yeah. um, it, you know it used to be very cheap to make a zombie genre then you got very expensive productions right the way through up to World War Z um, which again I enjoy but it's expensive and it's really nice to see something like this stripped back and focused purely on the storytelling I personally cannot praise this film enough for showing, not telling. I hate it when a film tells you everything. I think it's lazy and I think that it can be done much, much better through showing the audience. I don't like it when a film... Uh, assumes stupidity in the audience and therefore feels that it has to explain, you don't have to. There's nothing wrong whatsoever with uh, showing an audience and allowing them to make their own judgments on the situation and what's going on. I think the storytelling is phenomenal. I think what they've done in terms of the cinematography for the the budget that they would have had was Awesome. I mean, it's a beautiful-looking film, and not once does the film feel cheap. So they've done an incredibly good job there. And compared to other zombie genres out there, it's not going to be the gore fest that you're looking for because they don't focus on that. It's about the characters. I hundred percent recommend this. Yes. Some people, you know, IMDb and Metacritic, they've given it like six out of ten, six and a half out of ten. This And I'm not going to go into numbers because I don't like it because, again, it's reductive. But I think this film is, in recent history, one of the best zombie films out there because it focuses on the characters and the story. And the zombies are almost completely secondary to what's going on on screen. Awesome. I think we both really enjoyed it. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that was good. I mean, really enjoyed it. His- it's strong I, I
0: enjoyed it yeah. fair yeah it no. is, like i said it is harrowing it is tough but it's definitely worth it oh, I, um i'm i probably won't watch it again i've seen it three times now i probably won't see it a fourth but it's most definitely
1: never see it again
0: it's no, no no it's certainly worth the first watch though because it's one of those films where, like yeah that's really well put together definitely Okay, so closing closing statements. Um Andy, if anybody wants to find out more about where you are, um Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz, where can Absolutely. they find Parents so, uh, uh, Pictures podcast?
1: Yeah, so uh, Parents uh, Parents on Pictures, you can find us on Instagram, uh, Parents uh, pi- Parents on Pictures, sorry, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter Um, hit us up, let us know what you think. Um, And again, maybe send some suggestions our way. Send something. Yeah.
0: Something we're playing with at the moment. Again, we're we're new to this. So we're playing with a lot of it is we're thinking that on a, on a monthly schedule, either, you know, soon or or in the future, we will do three films that we decide between us. And then the fourth one would be like a, a viewers or subscribers pick. Um, so we'll we'll keep picking. Obviously coming up soon we've got Disney Plus. Is that released tomorrow?
1: Tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah,
0: so we'll have that beautiful candidate.
1: Up in the bar watching Disney. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my day tomorrow. You know
0: what I'm looking forward to? Black hole. Do you remember that?
1: No.
0: No, nobody does. It was basically Disney's attempt to capitalize on Star Wars and it bombed. Right. Hard. Okay. But you loved it. it. Oh, I loved it. It scared me for weeks as a kid. It was released in the right. 80s and I found it, well, because it, it was more along the horror route as opposed <laughs> to the, which is why I think it didn't do very well. Um, scared the heck out of me. But anyway, yeah, so I'm looking forward to some of that. Obviously, my, my daughter and my son, probably not so much.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to end up watching Robin Hood
0: or something. But... <laughs> yeah, on, and, and when it is released, for, Frozen 2. Oh, on,
1: for sure. On yeah.
0: repeat. Yeah. Oh, so we've so- got The Mandalorian to look forward to.
1: I don't know what that is. Star Wars? No.
0: Yeah, okay. So this is the first and final (laughs) episode. (laughs) I
1: went to a conference at the BFI in London and uh, we were having a conversation over dinner. It must have been about 15 of us around the table. And this guy said something about Star Wars. And I said, oh, I'm not really a fan of Star Wars. And you would have that thought i said i hated his mum or something the <laughs> the look the people gave me around that table i think a, I a, li-
0: be- a little bit of history uh my wife and andy have been friends since as my wife says practically birth yeah. my wife is the biggest star wars fan you will ever meet so how these two are still friends yeah, i will knows? never know who knows but
1: yeah i mean hey i'll give it another go i'll
0: get I Look, if, right. I'm, a, I'm a Star Trek guy, so it doesn't matter. Um, so <laughs> I love Star Trek. As far as I'm say, it wins over that every single day. But no, ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Final word from me. Take care, Andy.
1: Thank you very much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you again. Bye-bye now. Ciao.